the Happy Mindset Show, episode number eight. Today's episode is entitled Food for Thought, and today I'm joined by Elaine Hilides. Elaine is a well-being coach. Uh, she's written several books, and she's created uh, several Udemy courses. So today we have her on the show to get some insights into how she's gone about doing all this stuff. So thanks for being on the show, Elaine. And uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me, Dennis. No worries. Uh, could you give us a, just a brief introduction yourself into how you got to where you are today and how you got into uh, yeah, being a wellness absolutely. coach? Um, I did, uh, I, I, you know, sorry if people have heard me say this before to Jamie, but um, I did uh, lots of NLP courses years ago and I, and I did... Um, one with Paul McKenna and Dr. Richard Bandler, who was the co-creator, and Michael Neal, funnily enough, who was my uh, one of my original NLP teachers. So I did practitioner and master practitioner with them. And I really enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed, you know, Richard Bandler says, I had a very unhappy childhood and once was enough. And I really liked that. I liked the going forward rather than keep going back. But, um, but you know, the, N- the NLP techniques, I, I just didn't get them. And when, so anyway, I did, I did those courses. And then in 2009, the beginning of 2009, I decided I wanted to change things around. And I hired Jamie as my coach and Jamie Smart as my coach. And I was one of his first apprentices, myself and Chantal Burns. So um, Jamie was still running NLP um, courses at that time, but he had just started to, 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 you know, start this understanding of the principles because he had Michael Neal as his coach. Mm. So as I hired as mine, he hired Michael as his. So Michael had gone over to work with the principals altogether by then. So Jamie was getting it from Michael and then kind of teaching me on in our one-to-one sessions. Um, and I can remember still going on a couple of NLP courses. It was the last year that Jamie ran them. I think it was the last year. But um, uh, I, I just I, I remember he was saying to me, Oh, you know, you're you're not giving yourself up to the techniques, and I kept saying, oh, they just, I just didn't get it. You know, it just felt like playing or mm. the emperor's new clothes. I like to say. So I did. Um, I worked with with clients. I used to see clients um, in the evenings mainly, and I did. I did use the techniques, but and they and you know, clients did get uh, did get relief from whatever it was they came for, but. In my head, I just didn't think they were lasting. I didn't feel they were going to last over time, because if you if you keep you know tapping your hands, say you habituate to it, and in the end you don't feel it anymore. Mm. And that's how I felt about the techniques that they would work in a situation. So if you had a bad memory, and you went through the whole cinema technique, you know you see yourself, and then you move back a few, and then you see yourself seeing yourself, and eventually you're on the screen, and blah blah. Um, that would work for that memory. Then what happened if you had another one? Mm. You have to go through the whole thing again. It was exhausting. Sounds <laughs> so, like that. Um, oh, so when, uh, and also, when I was working with a client, I mean, I had to really concentrate because I had to check their eye movements and I had to listen for any presuppositions and language patterns and meta models and, oh, my goodness. So I wasn't really with the client because I was already listening to myself. I was I was um, tracking the conversation rather than listening. Mm. So when I was introduced to, to the principles in 2009, it was just such a relief. It just made absolute sense. So Could you explain the difference? What, what are the principles then for anybody listening that isn't aware of oh, the principles? 
Well, it, the principles are just the principles of mind, consciousness, and thought. And there have been laws in physics forever, but there have never been any kind of laws in philosophy or psychology. And these are kind of laws. They're, they're things that don't change. We are always living through these, these principles of mind, consciousness, and thought. It doesn't actually matter what they're called because um, we're talking about something that just is. Mm. You know? So it's like air. You know, we, we know we breathe. We, we know we breathe air, but we're, we're not aware of breathing air. Nobody says, oh, do you know, I don't think I'll bother with air today. Mm. Or, well, you know, I can understand air works in lots of situations, but this is different. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. It's just It just is. It just is. So they used to be called health realization or, you know, various names over time. But it's just pointing to to understanding how we create reality. It's just kind of the blueprint for how life is. Mm. So it's a way. It's a way of being, I suppose. It's like a, the way I'm looking at it's kind of an embodied understanding, um, and you yes. can overcome fears because you see them for what they are. Then yes, yes. And the wonderful thing is because it um, because these principles point to something underneath. They point to to thought. I mean, they point to obviously to mind. And and I like to say that I'm going to have to change this soon because we all download now. But I used to say, and I still do sometimes. That it's a bit like a DVD player, and so mind is what whatever you want to think of it. It could be it could be God, it could be spirit. It's whatever you want to call. For me, it's energy. Mm. It's energy. It's what makes the grass grow, what mm. makes the sea come in and out. It's just energy. And if you think of a DVD player, you have to plug the DVD player in to to the power source mm. in, for it, in order for it to work. And consciousness is what brings thought alive. Um, we we wouldn't we wouldn't be living if we didn't have consciousness. So consciousness is like the DVD player, because if I showed you a DVD and it was just the disc, and I could say this is a really good film, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it means nothing if it's just the disc. So I'd have to use the player to bring the disc alive. That's it, yeah. And the disc is like thought. So whatever we're thinking, that's we we create our reality moment by moment with our thinking. Now, so if you put if you put a rom com in disc in, that's you'll get one experience. If you put a scary film in, you'll get another experience. Mm. So that's how I just like to kind of demonstrate what mind consciousness and thought are. It's a good me. it's a good analogy, though, right? The the DVD player because the thinking is actually what's creating the experience there, and it's the one thing you don't see when you're looking at the TV screen. So it's kind of yes, it's a good yes, analogy, I think. Yes. And it and it also shows how we we create our our reality individually mm. it's not it's not the same for everybody because when you put that film in <laughs> i don't know about you but if if my partner and i watch a film quite often he might say that was such a good film and i say mm. it was rubbish exactly. yeah. <laughs> so it can't be coming from the film because mm. <laughs> it has the same experience that's it it's a good indicator all right um, what I've touched on there briefly is that you can see fears for what they are and I heard that you used to have a fear of public speaking and now you're like an international speaker you go to events and stuff how did that happen for yes. you? well it, it, it didn't it didn't happen in one big fell swoop I didn't get this massive insight but I can remember years ago um, I was terrified I was terrified of of going into a room of people that I knew I was terrified and and I think, I think really what it was, was I was terrified of people looking at me mm. en masse. 
And I think that's a lot of the time that people get terrified. And obviously, the only thing I could be terrified of was my thinking about them. So I was going into all the old, old thinking about being judged. What were they going to think of me? Was I going to get it wrong? Was I going to forget what I wanted to say? Oh, thousands of things. And and I would try and memorize a script, which we know doesn't work. Mm. And then... And then it was interesting because now I can't wait. I'm like, I can't wait for my turn. Because one, it doesn't actually, well, it's not my business what somebody thinks of me. Mm. And whatever they think of me is personal to them. (laughs) So it's not actually anything that I'm saying because everybody could receive what I'm saying differently, just like the film. So as long as I am true, as long as what I'm saying is true for me, and and as long as I have a message that I want to deliver, um, well, not deliver, you know, give people, if I think there's something that they might find interesting, then I'm excited to share that. Mm. So the whole judgment thing has gone. I don't, I don't, I say, I don't mind. I don't think about what people are going to think of me. I actually, if I do, I just, well, I, I think nice things of them. So why wouldn't they think nice things of me? <laughs> exactly. That's it. Um, yeah, that's a. Uh... That's that's kind of been my experience too. It's that um, it's the judgments, people's judgments that you perceive they're going to have that's stopping you from doing it. And yep. you, I think everybody's got stuff that they can share that'll help people, and it's, yes. that's kind of what's yeah, getting exactly. in the way. But, but you know, I wrote a, I wrote a little post recently um, on on my resiliency page program and um, program page, and it was about uh, um, what did I say? How, how what would happen if we if we all grew legs at puberty? I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> because they, they, who, nobody would walk. Because you know, if you if you grow legs around thirteen, when when uh, teenagers are hyper critical of each other, but a- actually hyper worried about what people think of them, everybody would be thinking, "Oh, are my legs too short? Are they too long? Are they too fat? Are they too thin? Oh, I'm going to fall over. Everyone's going to laugh at me." <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? an interesting thought. Yeah, That's actually kind of how I came back to things too. I was kind of like looking at it. How was I as a baby? I wasn't really thinking about stuff that much, and I hadn't I didn't have that much on it. So I knew yes, if I was exactly. like that once, I could be like that again at some stage. So yes, kind of, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, I mean, teachers are, are children are our teachers, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And uh, it's, it's a good way. It's a good way to go approaching language learning too. It's like they learn languages kind of through trial and error. They don't have much on it. They don't feel anxious when they make mistakes, and uh, that's how they excel yes. so quickly. Then was learning Japanese from her mom and English too mm. and I said to him are you going to teach her Italian and he said oh no he said I think it might be a bit much for her I said well I think she'll let you know if it is yeah <laughs> whose thinking is that that's <laughs> it <laughs> yeah it's funny because like we have the capacity to uh store a lot of information like there's no like the tendency I, I used to have it was like I thought the brain could only hold so much but there's no real limit to it there when we actually delve right. deeper. Yep, absolutely. Certainly nobody's ever reached the limit or even close. Mm, exactly. So you, you create courses on Udemy then. So how did you get about doing that? And was it something that came naturally to you or was there certain limitations blocking it at, okay. at the start? Or? Oh, no. I was a, no. Um, how did I start? I can't remember what made me want to start doing it. I think it's because I... I am passionate about getting this this understanding out to everybody. 
And I thought that would be a good way. I thought that it would be a good way, a good forum, online courses to do that. So um, I, I investigated, you know, how to do it, bought courses myself, went on courses, you know, to find out. And, and my first course is way too long. I made a huge mistake. Um, and also, because my first course is around food, and mm-hmm. um, I have a book that went on to Kindle in 2013, because I have so many clients that kept saying to me, you know, you give us so much information, write it down. So so I created a book. And in the book, I have chapters on practical stuff, like what food does to you. So I talk about, you know, trans fats and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I have a book on kind of the mind and how we think about it. Because you see, food diets don't work. If they worked, there'd only be one. Mm-hmm. And we, people wouldn't go on diets forever. But it's, it's the thinking about food that stops people from achieving what they want because they, they, they go on a diet, so they think, okay, I'm not going to eat, let's say, bread. I'm not going to eat bread. I like bread, but I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to be good. Mm. And then either they get bored with their diet or they get to the weight they want, and then they, they kind of let all the old foods slip back in again because they've denied themselves these foods and they think they want them, mm-hmm. whereas – what I like to do with people is talk about the food. So so bread, for example, you know, I, I, I like, I have some sourdough bread sometimes. I don't have it every day and I don't have it all the time. But, you know, I say to clients, did you ever, did, did you ever have, do paper mache with your children? Or did you ever do paper mache with the school or your parents or whatever? And most people at some point did. And I said, what did you use for the glue? And quite often it's flour and water. And I say, okay, what's bread made of? And they're like, oh. So I, I'll, I'll talk about food in that way. So I'll talk about, you know, how we digest food and how, how we don't digest certain foods. Mm. So then it becomes more of a choice. Rather than thinking this is something I want, they start thinking, do I want it? Okay. You see, so I kind of swap so I just help them to see their thinking around food. Because even today when I was working with somebody in Australia, you know, people, when they when they come to me to, to talk about food, they've been on so many diets, they, they know what they should should be eating. Mm. But, but we so don't see. I mean, the, the lady that I've been working with today is a principal's um, teacher. But she just didn't see it in this area, and it's so common because mm. we can see – that it's our thinking to do with everything else. But, of course, food, we have to eat. So we, it seems like that's the exception. Mm. And, of course, there aren't any exceptions, like air. I think there's exceptions. Or I think that we all seem to have exceptions that we don't see because there's blind spots. They're so blind to us, we need somebody Absolutely. else to kind of help us. But the blind spot is only you're blind to your thinking in that mm. area. That's what it is. But sorry, I've, I've gone off track. So the course is... Yeah, the course So is. I decided to make a, a course. So in my book, I deliberately don't talk about recipes because it's a choice. I'm not going to tell somebody what to eat. I'm pointing them in a different direction. But for the first course I did, because so many people asked me to do recipes, I did recipes. So then I had to take photos of the food and I would forget. So I would make this lovely food and then we'd eat it. And I'd think, oh, no, <laughs> I'm supposed to take a photo. Yeah. So it just took me forever, it felt like. Yeah. Um, and and it was entirely new to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any idea how one thing linked to another at all. Um, and I can remember 
uh, I think it was even to do with lead pages, which now seems funny that I didn't understand how to link lead pages to something. But And I remember being at the conference years ago and, and like feeling really wound up by my miss, by my lack of understanding about the technical side of things. Mm. And that really felt like an exception. <laughs> yeah. So that's quite funny. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I started, I investigated the software to use to record me and to record the screen mm. and, uh, and just went from there really. And, um, the first course is quite basic, really. I, I did I did face to camera small little um, tips, but because it's a six-week course, I did 42 tips, so it was way too long. And, and the, the night before, I'd put a day aside for filming these tips, or two days aside, and they had to get all the lighting up and everything. For some reason, the night before, I decided to cut my hair. So okay. I just chopped my hair. So it looked like somebody re- literally had put a bowl over my head. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I just can't be bothered to wait for it to grow. So it will just yeah. <laughs> have to do. Yeah, something you have so, to do. Yeah. Yes, but what would you yeah. do different then if you had to do it again now, knowing what you know now? Well, the first, so the first course was too long, for sure. Oh. So the second course I cut down, I made a small course, and again around food. And I think that was basically the same format as the first one. But then the third one, I did a course called Overcoming Overwhelm. Um, and that was just – so the first two are around food from a principles point of view. And the third one is just pure pure principles. And I did much more um, um, still photos and videos. Mm-hmm. So I, I made it much more interesting, which I thought, because it was so – so that's what I did for the third one. And then the fourth one, I went really crazy and got a green screen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then learned that. So every single time I was doing it, I was, I was learning a skill, which is all good, isn't it? But, that's so it. that was quite funny. I think that's the creative process. It's just adding in a little bit each time based on what you've kind of learned from the last time. Yes, yes. So, did yeah. it take you... So, or did it like when you're doing the slideshows and stuff? Was that something you'd done before, or, or something you just picked no, up? No, never. Was never. Start from scratch. Was it hard for you to start from scratch? Did it take a long time? Or looking back on it, it there was so fr- there was some frustration, and there's always a learning. Mm. <laughs> and there was some frustration when I couldn't understand something. Of course, when you understand it, it's a bit like again the principles. When you see it, you can't unsee it. But when when there's something you you don't understand, there was there was a frustration, and I think when did I do my first one? A few years ago, I can't remember three three years ago, maybe four years ago, and there weren't so many people doing online courses. Whereas now there are more people, and there are more people that you can call up and say, "How do you do this?" or send them a message. And you know, I'm always happy to share with people. And so if anybody gets stuck, you know, I'm very happy for them to to contact me. But I didn't have anybody that I could mm-hmm. do that. So. It was all self-taught with, um, you know, trusty Googling everything and, uh, and, and buying other courses from Udemy to watch. And Did you find your curiosity guiding you there in, in those sort of self-learning situations? Yes, absolutely. And even though I would get very frustrated, mm. I'm very, you know, kind of completely blocked with my thinking about it because I would get so like how do I do this I don't understand and then I knew just leave it alone just Mm. leave it alone and 
and don't keep going over and over the same thing. And then I knew that I would, I knew that I would understand. I was just impatient to understand everything straight away. As well. So that, that was where it was invaluable to have this understanding because I, I, I knew that I would get to there in the end. Mm. And I knew I didn't have to suffer over it. I might suffer for a little while while I was in, in frustrated thinking. But beyond that, I, I knew it would be okay. So, and I knew it would be okay anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know, what was going to happen? If, even if I didn't complete it, what was going to happen? Exactly. It wouldn't be the end of the world. you do something yeah. else. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how important has community and mentors been in, in your life to get you to where you are today? Oh, massively. Um, I, and I was so, so lucky because um, I say, Jamie, I think... I really, I get kind of confused with the years. So Jamie and I worked together in 2009 and he, I say worked together in 2009, he's wonderful. You know, I know I could call him up tonight mm. and he'd, he'd, he'd be there. But um, so, it's, so it's like we never kind of stopped working together, if you see what I mean. But mm-hmm. uh, So he was my coach in 2009 and then in 2010, I think he started the first phase of his, of his journey. Um, and then it might year after that maybe in 2010 he kind of went all in and then he got just about everybody over um to do three days so at that point i had already worked with george and um terry rubenstein and shell and then he and then jamie brought over sandy crot garrett kramer keith blevins kathy casey gosh i can't even remember so many people mm-hmm. so so we had a lot uh there and I also did um, a year, the first year of the One Thought Foundation. So audited that. So I attended all of the um, in-person sessions there. So it was really, really packed. Mm-hmm. And then did the trainer training year with Mark Howard and Kathy Casey with Jamie. So in the beginning, I was incredibly lucky to have so many mentors. And then, of course, um, did a lot of work with Dickon and, and days with Bill Pettit, health, mental health days with Bill, and yeah. So yeah, sounds pretty extremely. Yeah, sounds pretty immersive as well. Like the very yes, yeah, yeah, and and still now I, I I probably am always listening to something or because there's nothing else there's nothing else there's nothing to know is there? Mm. But there's always something to know, and there's always something to see differently. And I know that sometimes if I'm in the middle of a lot of stinking thinking, I, I, I kind of think to myself, okay, is there a learning here? And in that moment, there really isn't because <laughs> I'm really in the middle of it. But I know, again, if I, when I stop, you know, when I let that thinking go, there will be a learning and I will see something different. So I don't think, I don't think I'll ever stop learning. I don't think I'll ever stop kind of um, immersing myself in this. That's it. Yeah, I had the same experience too. It's like, it's actually the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, and then you realize. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, which is which is really good because it's like there's never an end to it, and there's always room for growth and and improvement in certain areas and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and as I say, I love working with people around food. I really do because, again, even I even I see things differently all the time there too, um, which is wonderful about the way Mm. we the way we think about the, the food, the, the way we eat, why we eat, when we eat, and all of these things. And um, and I think I might have mentioned to you earlier that I really resisted niching. So although 
although people, a lot of people know me around food and principles, um, I also in 2011 started the first um, weekly workshop sharing the principles for those in alcohol, drug and mental health um, rehab. Mm. So, so that's an area I'm very passionate about. Well, I say that's another area. I'm passionate about anxiety. I'm, you know, if I have somebody ring me up and they say, I've got, I've got really bad anxiety, I'm like, great. Mm. But it's funny with anxiety and stuff too. It's sometimes you'll be experiencing it you might not even know because you have no base for a life that wasn't kind of on edge at some level. There's a certain yeah, level of anxiety. You can, you can clear them up without even knowing it was a problem to begin with because yeah, of that perspective yeah. then, you know. And it's interesting, too, that people will be, it's like confidence, you know, people come to me for confidence as if as if it's something that they can, you know, I can put in a bag for them and say, here you go. And like anxiety, because people will have anxiety often around a certain area, but it may not be around every area. Mm. So therefore, they're not suffering anxiety. They're I, suffering a lot of thinking in one area. I think that's nearer to the truth, because I've never met somebody who hasn't had anxiety around something in their life. It, yes because otherwise they'd yes. be doing everything they wanted to do and there's very few people i've met that are doing everything they want to do yes from the yes. start anyway exactly. it's been a process for them i suppose yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and do you see similar issues in between people who have issues with food and people who have issues with drug addiction and, and other yeah, stuff absolutely absolutely because you see you know we the biggest addiction is to thinking it's not to the thing mm. so what what happens most of the time is that that for, for one reason or another, people get into like the stinking thinking I was talking about, or they have an argument with somebody, or they feel um, unloved or uncared for, or you know that we all go through times when we might feel like that. Yeah. And then, and then they 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 have something that they think makes them feel better. So if it's if it's food, it might be I'm going to go and buy a ton of chocolate. Or if it's um, alcohol, they'll think, "Well, I'll go and get a bottle of vodka." So what they're what they're doing is they're 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 creating their feeling from inside, but they don't realise that because we we don't always do we. Mm. It looks like it's from out there, so it looks like the circumstances upset them. Mm. So then they look on the outside to take for something to take their thinking away about the circumstance. So when you point out to people that thinking is the thing that's causing the problem. Um, or not causing the problem, but you know, the thinking mm. is why you're having the feelings you're having, and the feeling is coming from your thinking about whatever you see as a problem. Why would you look on the outside for something? It makes no sense then to look on the outside mm. to take away something on the inside. And and you see also, this happens time and time again with everything. Um, if somebody if somebody gets into a lot of thinking about what they perceive as a problem. So then they want something on the outside to take that away. So then if it's like a bottle of vodka, they think, right, I'm going to go and get a bottle of vodka. And then they're really hyped up to go and get the bottle of vodka. But as soon as they have it, the feelings go. You know, I had a, um, an ex-addict that I was working with in the rehab, and he said, um, uh, in the rehab group, and he, he said that he could really understand what I'm talking about because he said he used to get the clucking. And he said that's when everything is going. Every single nerve in his body is is screaming for something. Mm. And then he would buy the drugs from his dealer and the feeling would go. Well, he hadn't he hadn't even smoked the, the drug or, you know, he hadn't lit mm. it, he hadn't boiled it, he hadn't done whatever he needed to do. 
but the feelings had gone. So, so he, it, he noticed that. It showed him. Yeah. Yes, it was nothing to do with the drug. And then once, was, once he'd seen that, was that like uh, changed his outlook on it then? Once he'd seen it? Oh, wasn't absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because when, when you see that, you can see... You can see that the, the power is is with you and not with the thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's um with something like with something like alcohol addiction and drug addiction, it's the only difference with the food is that often um, if somebody if somebody is putting on weight in your family, you might say, oh, you know, getting a bit heavy, or you might not say anything, you may not even notice. But if somebody is is a drug addict or an alcoholic, then um, then it's fairly apparent, and the behaviour is different, so that they may behave worse than somebody who's addicted to chocolate cake. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, then what happens is often families will try and help them, but the addict doesn't either rejects the help or carries on with the addiction. And then a lot of times the families don't know what to do, and they just drift away or wash their hands or cut ties with the person because genuinely they're lost themselves. They don't know what to do. So then you've got the added, um, so this for the addicts, you've got the added feeling of lack of connection, mm. cast out of the tribe, you know, and then, and then they make their family, the people they use with. And something that I, I would want to work more with is not actually in the addiction, although that's fascinating, it's when they come through the addiction, especially if they've gone through some kind of government program, that it almost like brings them in, gets them clean and throws them out. Mm. Well, what do they do? Because they haven't anywhere to go. Even if they manage to get a room, if the government do you know, manage to get them a room, um, they haven't any friends because they're friends of the people they're used with and they don't, they can't trust themselves to be around those people. So, they haven't got any friends, and their families have often, as I say, washed their hands of them. They can't. They can't get a job because employers don't recognise how resourceful addicts are, um, because you know addicts are very clever because they have to get yeah. the money for their drugs every day. You know they're incredibly resourceful, mm. but that's not that's not picked up as a skill. So they haven't a job. They haven't got any friends. They haven't got any family. They have an awful lot of time suddenly on their hands. And what do they do with their time? They start thinking and they start thinking about how life is unfair and they go back to the thinking that caused the problem in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the bit I think is, is the most helpful time for them. I think that's when we can really help them with this understanding mm-hmm. to see that um, it isn't an inevitability to go back to what they were, what yeah. they were using before. So if you can get the root instead of treat, treating the symptoms, I think that's kind of the difference yeah. there. Yeah. Just, just, just to show them that, that, that all of the things they're thinking. You know, in, in I think it was 1977, there was a guy called Dr. Bruce Alexander who, um, he's, a, he's a professor, and at the time, researchers were looking at addiction, as they always are, and they had... Um, they had lots of rats in, in what they were called Skinner boxes. And these boxes are where rats are isolated. So they have no connection with each other. Mm. And it was a test to see, you know, when they drank morphine as opposed to water. And blah, blah. Anyway, all the rats became addicted, no surprise. And, but but um, Professor Alexander did not believe that this was, this was a true case study because he knew that rats, like humans, are very social creatures. And they were isolated 
there was no connection. So he and his researchers um, formed a rat park. They made a rat park and they put things that rats like to play with and balls and they made little runs for them and they put male and female rats in. So obviously there were quite a few rats very soon and they all interacted with each other and none of them touched the morphine. And even when they took the water away, so the rats were forced to drink the morphine, as soon as they reintroduced the water, the rats went back to the water because they had no need for the drug because they were they had this connection. And, you know, Professor Alexander said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we all see life, um, instead of seeing life as a cage, we see it as a park? Said. Funny when you're saying that now, actually, I'd heard a story about when the Americans are fighting in Vietnam that a lot of the soldiers are hooked on heroin, but when they came home, yep. a lot of them weren't. Yes. Yeah. Well, how about when people go into hospital? I mean, if I, if I was in, God forbid, some car accident and broke lots of bones and I was in hospital, they'd give me, they'd give me dimorphine. Mm-hmm. And you don't yeah. get addicted to that, but, yeah. No, because you see, what happens when people in hospital, they use the, the, the drug for pain relief, but they expect to get better. Mm-hmm. And as their body heals, they expect to come off the drug because it's it has a purpose to get to get better, not not to try and change our thoughts. But if it was the drug itself, then, then everybody would come out of hospital addicted. It's funny you mentioned the word purpose there actually too. I think it's when you lose a sense of purpose that that's kind of when the thinking gathers too. You don't have a yeah. purpose and yeah. direction and stuff. Yeah, sense of self as well, you know. Mm, yeah. So you've written a lot of, you've written quite a few books now as well. So did did you always want to be a writer, or was it that you had information you needed to get out, and writing was a good medium for it? Yes, it it. Well, the 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 food book is you know the, mm. uh, and it's called Mindfulness: The No Diet Diet because it's not a diet. But um, actually, the other books have have come from the Udemy course because you know you hear a lot about repurposing, so. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just the transcript, really, because I, I like to my my courses are like me chatting in a way, so it kind of lent itself to um, to, to you know the transcript making a book. So they're just like little books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do, and I do like writing actually. I mean, I I post every day on the I, I've got so I've also got a membership site. So that's my next thing that I'm doing because I like to yeah I like to I do like to have a project. <laughs> and what's that so, membership site about? Then what's uh, the what? Well, it's it's called the Resiliency Program, mm-hmm. and I have um, so this the membership site is the Resiliency Program, but I also have a Resiliency Program page which is just a public page um, that I post on. And I try and post every day. I do post every day, apart from maybe one day at the weekend. Just short, just mm-hmm. short bits. Um, like Seth Gordon. Do you know Seth Gordon? He's got, he'll post like a few lines a day, but he, he's got really insightful stuff. Well, I don't know if my mind's insightful. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but it's it interesting because um, there's, a, there's, there's something, it was called Golf Breeze, recovery and I can't think what it's called now and it'll come to me but there's a wonderful couple in America um Krista Smith and um Reed Smith that work with addiction use use work with the principles with addiction and they are absolutely wonderful and I totally admire them and um and then Krista got in touch and and asked if we could we could have a chat Mm. and she said oh I love I love your work I love what uh, uh, the things you write and maybe you could um 
write for us, maybe as a guest writer. Well, I went straight into my head. I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> because because I, it's really funny. I could laugh at myself that I immediately put pressure on myself. Mm-hmm. That, that So so we, I just said, no, you know, I'd rather that she just used anything she wanted of mine, and that was easier. <laughs> but that was quite funny that, as I say, I, I went straight back into old thinking. But I suppose the power is that you realize that now, that you realize you're in that thinking, you yeah. come out of it easier. Yeah. And I can laugh about it, and it's it, it's it's really not important. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that perspective is very important in creative ventures because you don't know whether something's going to land or not. And it's yes. kind of when you don't have that thinking and that beating yourself up about it, it's easier yes. to just get on with things. Right? Yep, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. It's interesting because I, to, today, was it today or yesterday? I can't remember. I put a little post about self love because, you know, we often hear that we're supposed to love ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, who can do that? Nobody, it's a really funny, how do you love yourself? You know, it's one of those funny concepts, isn't it? Mm. And when I used to work with Paul McKenna years ago on his um, I Can Make You Thin days, it was um, our job in the breaks to help people, and we would kind of help them to see themselves with love. Mm. But it was so difficult because it's, it's you, to see, your, you can't see yourself with love when you have a whole load of thinking covering your eyes. Yeah, it's so difficult. So I think... I think self-love is to stop beating yourself up, really, mm. and just to be a bit kinder to yourself. You know, it's not standing in front of a mirror saying, I am gorgeous, I am gorgeous. Because yeah. if you don't think like that, you're not going to feel it. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, beating yourself up is a huge thing, I think. And that's what people do with food because mm. they eat something that they think they shouldn't eat and then they beat themselves up and then they think, oh, well, I've ruined the day. I'll, I'll eat everything in England or Ireland and I'll start again tomorrow. <laughs> and um, you think it would be easier if somebody just like didn't beat themselves up and they just totally. got on with it again. And is totally. that possible for people to do that in your experience of working with people? Yes. Yes. But they just need to catch themselves doing it. You know, I often use the example of somebody, if it's around food, who hasn't prepared their breakfast and they're rushing, they get up, Maybe they get up late and they're rushing to work and they grab a sausage roll on the way to work. And then, yeah, that's not the best choice nutritionally. I get mm. it. But then what they say is, oh, no, you know, this is a bad day. Because yeah. when I ask people, what do you eat? They say, do you want a good day or a bad day? And I say, well, actually, every day has the same amount of time. <laughs> mm. What well, You know, what is a bad day? But it's when they've eaten something that they wish they hadn't. So then they beat themselves up. So then they say, this is a bad day. So they make bad food choices for the rest of the day till they feel totally miserable. And then they start again the next day with a good day, they say. Whereas, you know, I encourage people to say, it's a sausage roll. Mm. Full stop. Full stop. You know, I I think then, then your next choice can be healthy because your lunch doesn't come from your breakfast. You know, breakfast doesn't cause lunch. Mm. So it's a funny thing we have. It's like that is that I, I have a feeling that's pretty common. That and not even yeah. around food. It's like you make some mistake and be like, "Oh, it's a bad day." And yes, exactly. If I, if I just valued my time more, I could actually make time. I'd be able to make better use of my time and learn from mistakes rather than yeah. wasting yeah, days. Absolutely. Mm. Yep. You know, just recently I had I went into London to um to to listen to a talk, and we've moved to the south coast now, and it's about two, two and a half hours to get into London. 
So I decided it was worth it. So off I went because I knew there were going to be people that I, I wanted to see mm. in, in the audience. And um, I went off and I got back in my car in Piccadilly, which maybe wasn't the best choice to park in, but hey-ho. <laughs> and I, I got in my car at quarter past nine and I got home at half past two in the morning because they kept closing motorways and uh. then other roads. And it was just, it was just, I was going to say a disaster. But it isn't. An earthquake's a disaster. This was an inconvenience. But years ago, I would have thought that ruined my night. Mm -hmm. That ruined my night because it took me so long to get home. Whereas actually, I had a good book to listen to. I like to listen to audio books on a long journey. So I had a great book to listen to. And I really enjoyed the talk. And I really enjoyed seeing all my friends. And that was that was it. So... I don't see things like that anymore. I don't. I don't think because one thing happens, it's going to. It has any impact on the rest of the day, mm -hmm. which is so easy, so much easier. It's so much easier, yeah. I, and I take. I think it takes us a few times to like catch ourselves doing it, and then kind of yes. going, "Do I want to create this experience for myself all the time, or do I, I want to make the most of it?" But um, I, know. But I think it might come back to being kind in yourself again. Like you can do it ten or twenty times, and still that twenty-fourth time, you can go, "Okay, I'll change it now." Or whatever, yes. but not beating yeah. yourself up yeah. for the last twenty times. Yes, and I, I am a big believer in so what. Yeah, you're like, okay, I did that. So what? And then, and then, to me, so what acts like a full stop. Uh, it means you can then go on to do something differently, rather than keep thinking about it and keep thinking about it and beating yourself up. So what? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it stops that trail of thought and it tracks that trail, yeah. doesn't it? Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so I've, I've loved doing the Ujim courses, and I think I probably will do another one. But as I say, I've had a bit of a break mm. because when did I do my I, – I think I put the last one out in about March or April this year. So then then I started thinking about what's what next, what next, and then I decided the um, I'd work on a membership site. So I may well do another course next year, and who knows what that's going to be like. <laughs> How do you get that focus, actually, when you have so many ideas going in your head to just go at one and forget about the stuff that you don't need to be doing right now? Um, how do I do that? I think it's just whatever occur whatever I'm passionate about at the time. Mm -hmm. And and I do get really passionate about my projects. And, of course, I see clients, too. So I'll be seeing clients, but in the, in, in the breaks between clients. So... If I have a client in the morning and the evening, then it's like, okay, what do I want to do during the day? And I just love creating things. Mm. I think that's my what I really do like to do. I like creating things. So it's just fun then. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That, that's, uh, I think that's about all we have time for today. I think my last question for you would be, what is your favorite book and, and why? Oh, that's right. You said that. No, that's mm. a tough one. It's a tough one. Because, yeah, yeah I, 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 do you know, I, I don't know. I did think about that, and then I promptly didn't think about it because mm. it <laughs> because I just didn't know. And I think I just love. Okay, if it's a if it's a, a kind of principles book, I mm. love. I mean, I think there are so many fantastic principles books out there, but I think my favourite is Modelo. Modelo. Okay, who wrote oh, that one? Is it oh, Sid Banks? Is it or? No, it's Jack no? Pransky. If you oh, haven't okay. read Modelo, oh my goodness, um, it it's it's. So full of hope, Modelo. Mm. It's such a wonderful... You, you know the story of Modelo? No, you can give us a brief summary. Well, um, the, the, what happened in uh, the 80s, I think it was, there was a guy called Dr. Roger Mills who worked with um, Sid Banks, and 
he was um, a doctor of psychology, I think, and he had come across the principles and changed the way he worked, as many do. Mm. And there was um, a housing project called Modelo. And I'm trying to think where it was. It might have been California. I can't really remember. But anyway, a housing project called Modelo that was like the pits. It was just the worst place to live. Mm. It was full of um, it was full of addicts, drug addicts, alcoholics. Uh, yeah. No children ever went to school because nobody ever made them. Mm. Um, mothers would pimp their children for a bottle mm. uh, at night. All the all the pimps and the not the pimps the dealers came out and they would deal and people used to sleep on the floor in their in their places because of the stray bullets that would come through and roger mills lots of people got funding to go into modello and fix them well who wants to be fixed mm -hmm. yeah? yeah so of course the the people that lived in modello would kind of run them out and then roger mills got funding to go in and he just went in and kind of hung around and there's lots of video clips where these people are saying What's this white guy in a suit just hanging around, you know, just <laughs> getting to know us? What is this? Anyway, long story short, he, he started a parenting class, for example, and used to knock on doors to try and get them to go to the parenting classes, the mothers. And he said, this is not my job to try and help you parent. That's, that's your job. I just want to get you all together so that you can help each other. And they would talk about the principles. He had. He built up a team. Mm. He started a little local shop because there'd never been a shop on the estate because obviously it would get robbed. Yeah. And um, and it's a the most amazing. It's it's an interview. It's all done by interview. The book. It's not. It's not written like a fiction book. But it's the most amazing story of how these people just saw for themselves that they did not have to live the way they'd always lived. Just because that's the way they'd lived, they could change things, mm. and they and they and they changed it. You know, there were lots of news coverage at the time, the CBS and things, because the the people that lived on the estate ran ran the dealers out. Oh, it was yeah. amazing! It was amazing. It's the most amazing story. So I loved that book. I loved that book. Did that take a long time for that uh, for that change to happen? Do you know? I don't think it did take a long time. It, I think it was maybe over a year or so. Mm. Um, because because there were there were guys that were hanging around on the street corners dealing because that's how they got money for their things, mm. um, who who actually went to college and graduated, oh. and that was never known. Yeah. That just wasn't known. Um, and and Roger Mills would mediate, so a lot of the parents couldn't read, so they'd eventually like send their child off to school, and the school didn't want the children because they were kind of dirty and smelly and mm. and didn't want to be there yeah. and were disruptive. So then they would send the child home with a note because they didn't want them to come back again. And the mother would see the note and then beat the child because they weren't behaving mm. at school and goes round and round. So Roger Mills would say things like, would you like me to go with you to the school? And so he would go with them. So then the teachers saw that the parents did want to help their children. Oh, okay. But yeah. they hadn't got a way of, of expressing it. So then... Then the teachers started to work with the parents and they started to work with the children in a different way. So there's communication. There's communication line created then, yeah. 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 And oh. the way, because everybody changed the way they thought mm -hmm. they were going to be treated and the way they should treat others. And it's a fantastic book. So maybe, so fiction, there's thousands. <laughs> but, but in a principles context, yeah. Modelo is all-time favorite. Sounds like a good one, actually. I don't mind if that I read sometime, actually, as well. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Do you have any other book, then, if you wanted to throw in another one? Or is it... Oh, gosh. 
so many. But one's good. I asked for one, so one's one's yeah. pretty good. It's precise. I I read all the time. I'm always mm. reading. So I like reading. Um, I like reading Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton. I read a lot of his books. There's one I've got one here called Spontaneous Evolution that's holding my laptop up. Okay. <laughs> um, and and I find it that fascinating because Bruce Lipton talks about how, um, you know, how thought how how thought changes cells. What cells in our and body? That's amazing. Yeah. So it's like scientific proof that we really are feeling our thinking. Mm -hmm. And he he talks about, and again, I've I've mentioned this often, but I I just love it. He talks about an experiment he did where he took one pluripotential stem cell and he cultivated it with cell culture medium, which is blood. Mm -hmm. And as the the cells um, divided, he put them into three different petri dishes. And depending on the environment the cell was subjected to, it depended on whether the cell became a bone cell, a fat cell, or a muscle cell. But they were all genetically identical. I mean, isn't that oh, stunning? That's from the environment that affected that, yeah. And the environment isn't whether you live in the sea or the city. Mm. The environment is the thinking that goes on in the body because he says we are a skin-covered Petri dish. So oh, what happens yeah. is the blood goes around the body and it picks up the brain chemicals that we are creating with our thinking mm. and it takes those chemicals to the cells. I mean, isn't that amazing? It is, yeah. Yeah, I've heard yes. like thinking affects dopamine and serotonin levels and all that and over time with kind of positive yeah. and negative thinking, it can well, imbalance it. Yep. Yeah. Well, dopamine isn't even produced when... At, it pro- dopamine is produced at the thought of something. Oh, is it? Not when, oh, yeah. yeah. So if oh, you have dopamine, an editor. yeah. So if you think about chocolate, if that's your thing, mm. dopamine is produced at the thought of the chocolate, not when you're eating it. Also, oh, the same as with the drug addict, or that he when he, when he touched the bag, that's yes. when you get yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, fascinating, isn't it? It is. It's all interconnected. Like it's. Uh, I know. It really I know. Is. Yes. So, anyway, thanks for taking the time out to talk to us, Elaine. Um, how would somebody sure. get in contact with you or join any of your programs? Uh, well, the, the if everything I have is on um, the elainehillides.com okay. site. So, so yeah, I have a website, elainehillides.com. Perfect. That's and, the best. Or, yeah, yeah they, you can find everything on there. So Cool. So I'll put that yeah. in, in the notes for people to contact you. So thanks again Thank uh, you. for joining it's us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. So okay. until next Thank time, you. have fun and enjoy the process. Thank you. Bye-bye.